Welcome to the very first official episode of In Search of Good Data, formerly known as Customer Intelligence Management 101. For those who are just tuning in, I am your host, Carlos Guevara. And before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to do a little bit of a small intro. Uh, it's a big deal for us to be doing this new podcast in this new format. And first of all, I just wanted to give a big shout out to Allsight, who uh, without them, this podcast would not be happening. Uh, they've given us the opportunity to spend the last year talking about customer intelligence management and with the people behind this new space that has since transitioned to a full-blown platform called Customer Intelligence Platforms, which now has analysts buzzing. We've also spent the last few episodes talking with other thought leaders and businesses about how they are using the world of big data to impact and change the world for the better. So sit back and enjoy. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and of course, SoundCloud, as we go now in search of good data. Welcome to episode 30 of our newly rebranded podcast, In Search of Good Data. Today, we're going to be talking about fan engagement. Now, fans are absolutely everywhere, from fans of food, like foodies, to sports fans, fanatics of arts, fashion, various types of performances, what have you. I mean, I personally am a huge sports fan to the point where every home game you can find me at a Toronto BMO field, you know, as a devote season ticket holder for the Toronto FC MLS soccer club. That's that's my passion there. But, you know, what gets us fans to become so passionate to the point that we literally become walking billboards, advertisements and basically free marketing and press for the brands behind all these things that we so passionately love. So today I'm joined by Claudio Ludovici, a recognized leader of fan engagement to talk about what fan engagement is and why businesses need to start engaging with their customers as fans. He is the former head of strategic planning for ABC Entertainment, building fan engagement and digital business strategies, and a former senior vice president of operational strategy at NBC Entertainment Marketing and Digital, and the former VP of operations for IMAX Film and Entertainment, and the former VP of business development for corporate marketing at Warner Brothers Studios. He recently released a white paper titled The Fan Multiplier Effect, where he deep dives into this idea. Claudio, it is a pleasure to have you join us today on this newly rebranded podcast, In Search of Good Data. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Carlos. Thank you for having me. All right, uh, Claudio, let's let's start right away by answering the, the main question that I'm sure a lot of folks are asking. What is the fan multiplier effect and, and how did it come about? Well, again, uh, um, I just wanted to, to uh, mention something before we get into that. So the, the whole idea here is fans are uh, really for any business, right? Not just uh, for the industries that tend to think of their customers as fans, like entertainment, sports, uh, and music, but really uh, any business that has customers, uh, has customers who love them, and uh, at least a few, right? And so we can consider those people fans. Um, when you really reach out to your fans and empower them, with content and with things that they are able to, to use to, to actually sing your praises, you are you not only empower them as fans and you get them to get into conversations with other fans of what you do, but those fans naturally come into contact with people all along what you might think of as sort of the engagement funnel, from awareness to consideration to actual purchase or trial to you know, having that first experience, right? And then having repeated experience and getting to the point where they are fans of the product or service. So those fans naturally come in contact with all of those people at the different stages, which means you get that multiplier effect 
of of uh, doing more, you know, exponentially uh, getting the word out that way. Yeah, and that's an interesting concept. I mean, uh, I guess the words these businesses are using is is creating customers into advocates, right? But it, it's it's that fanatism, I guess, that we we're looking for, and it, it, the concept really interests me. And tell me about this idea that I, I saw and read in this white paper that fans are a massive free workforce that are actively helping businesses grow. Sure, um, and that has a lot to do with uh, you know a concept that actually comes from Singularity University. Um, called the Massive Transformational Purpose. But whenever you are clear about what you're up to and authentically devoted to as a business, you create the possibility of other people feeling so passionate about what you are about that they want to partner with you, not just not because not they're getting paid, but because they identify with your purpose as an organization. And so what happens is you can think of when, when your business is authentically devoted to something that has a uh, that serves a large public um, then in fact you are if you're serving those people then you can partner with them in ways that you you know that really go beyond the employee relationship and in fact a lot of the times uh, they're willing to talk about you for free and that personal recommendation just getting other people to be aware of your name even uh, if not telling them how great you are is basically gold, right? It's what we as marketers really have gone for, for, for all times, even before the invention of mass marketing, uh, personal recommendation was what everybody wanted. Yeah. And it's identifying with that. I mean, I've, I've been to restaurants where, with people where, you know, they're looking for a specific brand of beer and if that beer is not there, they'd rather just have nothing at all. Right. So it's that band loyalty that is, is really what these organizations are saying should be going after. Correct. Correct. And not only is loyalty a factor, but, um, you know, I think there's a level of emotion right. and identification with a fan that is different from a pure sort of like. Um, it, there's, an, there, there's almost, if you think about many areas of fandom, the classic areas of fandom, say sports, for example, is the easiest one to think of. So much of that is passed on from generation to generation. Like, heck, you know, just to be a rebel when I was in Italy, you know, I was a Juventus fan and my dad was a Roma fan. I, you know, my father nearly <laughs> disowned me. Um, but um, it's not because I really love Juventus. I just wanted to be a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, now the point being that that there are uh, emotions of self-identification and there's something about belonging that, that plays into fandom. Um, but it, very importantly, what I'm trying to do is get people to think about fandom beyond the classic areas. There are companies that, you know, make uh, sweatshirts. There's a company called American Giant that has this great video about what the, C, the, the passion of the CEO and like picking the cotton and the, how they make their zipper and, and, you know, how their elbows are, you know, are reinforced and et cetera, et cetera. And by the end of this video, you're thinking, why am I watching this video about cotton and sweatshirts? And by the end of it, you want to buy the darn hoodie. And it's just that you're swept up by this, by the passion of something that, hey, if you're going to do something, it's worth doing it well. And if you identify with that, then you identify with what this company is about and you say, you know, great, I want to buy the product, right? Right. All right. Absolutely. And, and you, you know, you, you start thinking about the great point with the soccer, uh, totally relatable as a fan of, of, of soccer or football, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, an interesting point that I, this paper of yours brings up is that, you know, one would assume that it's the marketers or the ones in PR or social media that are, are designed to, 
to build this this fandom. But you know, like you bring up, it's it's it seems like it's up to everyone to create this impact of the fan journey, correct? You know, it, it is, and and this goes back to the modern role of the CMO and how that CMO role varies. So. Just going back to basics and marketing of sort of the four or five P's, whatever you want to think about. Um, in many, many companies, right, the CMO or the head of marketing or the whole marketing department really isn't in control of the product, uh, right. which is probably the single most important aspect of the fan experience, right? right. Um, and heck, they may not be in, in charge of distribution, uh, which is another, or placement, which is a very another important touch point. Most of the time, they're not in, they're not really in charge of customer service or the operations of a call center, which also end up having, you know, a very large impact on on how you feel as you know as a customer. Um, and, and heck, a lot of times they're not even in charge of pricing in the entertainment industry. For example, marketing people don't go anywhere near pricing. That's more the realm of finance and strategy. So the two P's that are really in the control of the CMO most of the time by definition are positioning and promotion right including you know you know and by the way sometimes it doesn't even involve it doesn't even they don't even control the pr pr reports sometimes directly to the ceo so my, my only point here being that there are lots of parts of the company that that impact the customer journey and have touch points and i think that more and more uh you know everyone is in the business knows that the cmo needs to act as a brand leader not just a, as a leader for their organization, but someone who really owns the brand experience and leads leads all of that process and that conversation. So uh, I I think that you know this 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 fan engagement at the end of the day is a CEO topic because it has to do with fandom even internally. Like if you can't make your employees fans of what you do, how do you think you're going to make people outside your walls fans of what you do? That's a great point. Absolutely. Now. What happens once an organization obtains this customer and turns them into the fan? Well, you called it earlier the fan multiplier. What 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 exactly is this and how does it work? Well, okay, so that that let's let's split this up into two questions. So the first part is like how does fan engagement work, right? Let's go back to defining fan engagement. Fan engagement, in my mind at least, uh, I would purport to say is is a direct two-way continuous relationship with your best customers, right? It's a direct two-way continuous relationship with your best customers, which is, you know, it's a mouthful, but it's a lot to think about. Mm -hmm. It's direct because you're not doing it through paid media. You're doing it, um, uh, and I specifically am defining fan engagement as separate uh, from, from paid media, more like earned media. Uh, and that, that doesn't mean that when you do a great commercial that you're not engaging your fans. I'm saying that direct fan engagement means that you're going through either through a database you know through a so some data that you're holding on a database and reaching those people directly continuous because you're endeavoring to establish a relationship with someone and a relationship is a function of your communication with that person right so if you don't communicate with that person there's no love right the only way that you pass on love to people is through communication so you better be communicating with that fan continuously and not just when it's up to your product launches or, or your, you know, your specific initiatives. It has yeah. to do with understanding that the experience of your product is a, it may be a daily occurrence for, for a consumer. And, and so that's a continuous relationship. And two-way, because the fan has a lot to say about your product or service. And you demonstrate listening to them just like you do in a relationship. Um, 
you know, that's a very, very positive thing to do in a relationship is listening and, and be able to demonstrate that is great. So what does that mean? That goes to the second question, which is the second part of the question, which is, well, what does it take to do fan multiplier effect? Well, you got to be able to manage, you know, your relationship with fans in a way that works. And that's a three-legged stool. So number one, you need to collect and manage the data from a fan, right? right. Number two, you need to be able to to develop content. And I don't just mean, you know, sort of corporate advertising yeah. or corporate type of commercials. I mean stories, stories that engage people, almost like a mini documentary of something that's truly authentic about the company that is so cool. And it's a, this is a very high bar to meet, by the way. It's so cool that you'll stop what you're doing and pass it on to somebody else. Yeah. Now, I don't know about you, but the vast majority of content I see is not something that I would stop and, and you know, send to my friends. And that's the bar to meet. So I don't have all the answers here, like I had mentioned to you offline, but you know, I think it's a great question for us to ask, which is what does it take for a story to be so compelling that you'll stop what you're doing and say, man, I got to pass this on to my buddy. That's the level for content. There's a lot of power behind that share button. Like if we really just take a step back and think about that, the button says share. Is this worth sharing? And, and what you're saying is that's what organizations really need to think about. Is what I'm creating and, and providing to my, you know, my audience, is this worth watching, stopping, and sharing? Exactly. And the third leg of the stool is, since we don't live in an ideal nirvana, but we live in a world of complex organizations a lot of times, even if it's a small business, it can be complex. Heck, heck you know, a relationship between two people is complex. But if you add it mm. to the level of multiple departments, Oftentimes, because of the conversation we were having earlier about all the parts that need to come together to do this right, um, you need to have a proven process to bring together marketing, digital, database management, you know, insights, legal, finance, you know, operations, all the parts that need to fit together in order to really pull off fan engagement. And by the way, in the white paper, I talk about sort of nine steps that you can take uh, from you know, forming a fan engagement vision to forming a cross-functional team to things that you can materially do to go from zero to actually having a successful fan engagement process in place. So once you have those three, three things, again, database management, great content, and a good business process, right? To keep that going, not just as a fluke, but as a repeatable thing, right? Um, then you're able to engage your fans in a way that will make them, you know, Come in and, and they naturally come in talk, contact with you know people who aren't fans, so they're doing that conversion for you. So that's that's that goes back to your question: What's the fan multiplier effect? It's important to note this. Sometimes you feel so strongly about a topic that the moment you hear about it, that the moment you're aware of it, um, you are so excited by that that you'll actually talk about it. So it doesn't have to be that maybe even before you try the product, right? Maybe that initial story in the content was so compelling that you pass that on to others, right? And you automatically be, be, become a fan just by hearing about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, not every product is like that. You know, I think, you know, obviously this varies between B2B and B2C and on the category of product. But, but my point is only that the fan multiplier effect is a dynamic conversation. It's not that you have to get to a certain level of fandom for this to be a multiplier. It's that maybe you, you considered it, you're down to consideration as a level, right? You haven't even bought it yet, but you talk to your buddy and say, hey, I'm about to go out and buy this thing. Check out how cool it is. You see what I'm saying? So you yeah. don't have to get to the point of complete repeated advocacy fandom to be, for you to have a multiplier effect.
Absolutely. And I mean, it can, if you're not doing a great job and a consistent job, like you mentioned earlier, it can go both ways. Those people that are one day promoting you to their friends, either vocally offline or online, can easily be detractors in an instant. Um, you bet. And, and unfortunately, you know, the nature of that beast, of the earned media beast, which is, you know, off, right? And I don't know that we can go backwards now, but it is what it is. But yeah. the nature of it is that, you know, it takes one bad comment to muddy the waters of lots of good comments. And that's just kind of the way that, you know, unfortunately, social media works. It is yeah. what it is. That's how social media works. Now, talking about social media, there's probably some marketing, you know, exec or specialist or digital marketer out there thinking, oh, I, I manage social media and I'm very active on social media. I, I'm, I'm performing fan engagement every single day. How do you distinguish fan engagement from just traditional social media marketing? Yeah, that's great. Listen, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I would say that all marketing is one in, in one form of shape. You could consider that to be fan engagement, right? Um, or at least ideally going after fans in some way or creating fandom for what you're doing. So sometimes I don't think that fan engagement is actually the right term for with this conversation. It's more about direct two-way continuous conversations. So to the extent that you have owned media, for example, your website or your video or whatever it is, and you're using that organically, that is more along the lines of what I'm talking about if you're doing social media. But the fact, it, the problem, right, is that a lot of the marketing processes and marketing skill sets have been really kind of spoiled by the ability to spend millions of dollars in paid media. So like, can you really get Facebook to do what they do for you if you're not spending a bunch of advertising money with them? That goes with, you know, everybody else, right? With Google, with, you know, you, with YouTube, with, you know, Snapchat, whatever you're using, you know, or Instagram, whatever it is, you know, can you really do what you're thinking of without actually spending money? My contention is that you you can't go cold turkey on this stuff. You know, you especially if uh, cold turkey on paid media is what I mean. You're you're not going to be able to just turn off the, the you know your budget. First of all, every marketer dreads you know their budget being cut off, right? So you don't want to do that. But the point is that instead of spending you know just spending thirty, forty, fifty million dollars on a campaign, or even just a percentage of it, if you can start to invest just a fraction of that in building yourself a direct database of people that you can access directly without having to go through that paid media, whether it be traditional media or social media. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that you have an asset that you're building, which is you're curating and constantly updating and improving on your database. And a database today is dynamic, right? You can go vertical, meaning you can have more and more and more people on it or IP addresses or whatever it ends up being, whether it's identified or anonymous, but it's an individual, right? Going vertical. But then horizontally, you have dynamic, you know, dynamic databasing, which basically means you have almost an unlimited number of field records that you could have on an individual and gather all kinds of behavioral information and enrich it that way, which means that you can even have really what is actually a much richer conversation with someone directly than you do through paid media. So social is just one aspect of it, right? Social media means it's great. Social media is great. It's just that, are you paying for that? Or are you, how much are you having to pay for that? Are you able to, are you getting your database to the point where you're able to scale down on your paid, right? So this is both the cost saving measure and a revenue driving measure. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I mean, it sounds like data is not the problem here because all these organizations are having these conversations on data collecting devices. So, you know, you mentioned enrichment. Is enrichment or its synthesis of this data and making sense of it all 
the missing ingredient into the into getting to that fan effect? Well, actually, I, I, I'm not sure I agree 100% on that. I, I think that getting the data for, for lots of businesses is a problem um, because, and in particular, identification, right, registration. So yes. um, getting somebody to, you know, th there are ways of gathering information sort of anonymously, which is, are now actually causing some problems for companies, right. um, as we've seen recently. And we know what's happening in Europe right now and how that's going to affect people worldwide, really. And we've seen the latest, you know, situation with Facebook and uh, Cambridge Analytica, et cetera. What I'm talking about is getting people to voluntarily tell you, my name is so-and-so and I love you and please you. put me on your list because I want to keep, I, not only do I want to, getting them to feel like not only do I want you to keep talking to me, but I want to be your partner in talking about it. That's a very, very, very hard, you know, high bar to meet. Um, so, so I'm talking about getting registrations at that level, like someone who really wants to be your fan and doesn't mind you're having, wants you to have your, their data, right? The, on, the other, on the other hand, you're also correct when you say that there is so much data out there that you need algorithms and you need, sometimes you need AI, you know, AI is a whole other frontier, but we need to be able to make, it, it, a lot of the times we have lots and lots and lots of data and what we, do, we need to do is we need to make sense of it and we need to make it actionable. That's a whole other problem, yeah. uh, and the two problems go hand in hand. But certainly, the, there are lots of situations where there's lots of data. You don't know what, which part of it is actionable, which part is real, which part of it is good, which part of it is, you know, is confusing, which part is not confusing. And and sometimes it, it you know it takes a lot of work to get it boil it down to something that you feel is really actionable and solid. So it's, it's one thing to, to wanting to become that, you know, lemonade stand on the hot day that everyone's volunteering to come into and give you their money. But then knowing them personally, personalization and knowing how they like their drink. Right. I mean, and, and that's where the whole AI and algorithms come in, which, again, a whole we can sit here for hours talking about that. Um, but it, it seems to me like, you, you know, there's a bit of both happening here with and both points. I, I really like that you, you brought up about the data being an issue, not being an issue. Um, my email has been flooded this whole week with all these uh, updates to privacy policies and all that because of what's yes. happening, like you mentioned. Um, yep. Now, a lot of folks that are listening to this are probably thinking, this is what I want, this is the next step in my marketing campaign, but it's probably going to blow my budget. And, you know, myself in marketing and anyone out there marketing knows what this means. What would you say to most marketers or marketing teams out there that are feeling that they may not have the money or resources to get this done? I would, I would say it's actually quite the opposite. I think that, that what's happening, fan engagement is actually a way to save money because it's repurposing, it's rethinking, it's, it's, let's go back to the, three, to the three stools, right? Where you do need budget is you need enough money to be able to invest in a database, in a database management platform. But dollars to donuts, a lot of companies already have that in some form. They just need to rethink how they're, in, how they're really building it. They need to build a new vision for that. Great point, yeah. In terms of content, you could be rethinking your content in a way that you could also repurpose it for commercials. So for example, um, you know, if, if you can get your content to be good enough, um, if it's related to a consumer story, for example, then what happens is it's really saying, is my content good enough to be passed on? Because believe me, if it's being passed on voluntarily, it's going to be great in, you know, in the right context and you know in the right spot and the right 30 second format you can reformat that stuff and you can use it in, in you know both in traditional media and in mobile media by the way so 
I don't think, and also if you look at bottom line is if you look at the typical marketing budget, 85% of the marketing budget for a major consumer product company is probably around paid media, right? And the eight and 15% is around, is around the creation of that media or the owned media. Um, and so if you start to be able to do more with your owned media and you get earned media out of that, then you actually are saving money because you could take down your paid media a little bit now, or just, or reapportion that rather than taking down your whole marketing budget, start by reapportioning some of it to things that are permanent, like your database or like a good asset. So look, it's not about going to your CFO, right? And asking for less money next year, yeah, at least not right away. Um, it's about taking some of that money that you're spending, starting to question um, some of that money before your CFO does, or maybe they're already questioning it, uh, in paid media and saying, how do we maybe take some of this, uh, especially for the part of our business, which is continued business, continued business. Do we really want to keep going out on the first date over and over and over again with these people and get, you know, getting, look, using paid media with your current product users, it's kind of like going out on a first date with them over and over again. And by the way, never getting bothering to get their digits. Right. Where all I'm saying is, yes, maybe you start out with the paid media, but use that, use the asset as some way then to be able to gather data for you. And right. digital assets can do that so that you're left with something as you're as part of that initial investment. That's number one. Number two is focus on the KPIs of your business. Right. You've got to rethink part of your vision has to be what are the KPIs that get me to more business? What do I measure that, that's interim to sales? How do, I, how do I create that relationship and how do I measure that relationship? And then how do I prove that this other way of doing things is just as good, if not better, than the paid media route? Because otherwise you're gonna be stuck in paid media land forever. That's, all, that's the only gear you're gonna have. So again, I'm not suggesting that you go cold turkey on paid media because that would be crazy. But there's a different way of thinking about your business, which is that new product launches, to the extent that you're going out to brand new people, then you probably, and also that's one, and number two, you need them to show, like in entertainment, for example, we need people to show up on a particular weekend at a, you know, and or on a particular day for launching a TV show. That's a pretty hard thing to do with earned media, but that's effectively what happens anyway, because really the reason that you get the butt in seats is because your buddy told you to go see the movie, right? It's right. like, yeah, it could look cool on the trailer, and maybe you want to go see that, but there's nothing like your buddy saying, hey, I, let's go see this movie together. So my right. point is that it's both, right? And you're not going to be able to, even politically, forget it. You're not politically going to be able to give up on paid media. It'd be suicidal in the entertainment industry to do that, right? Until you can prove that your earned stuff and, in fact, your fan engagement is working to do, to do that without the paid media. And I think it can get there. And I think it's a question for us marketers to really think about, which is instead of just using paid media to get that reach and frequency and to get the to get that exposure can we begin to use technology to actually measure that better to know more about that interaction between our fans and the people that don't know anything about what we're doing so there's a million technologies that are that are being created and in fact i would say that technology is moving much faster than marketing process or marketing skill sets for that matter it's just the nature of the beast the nature of innovation so and all of us are being pitched all the time by small and mid-sized mid kind of suppliers who come up with really great new inventive, you know, inventive ideas. One of the things that I'm preaching a lot these days is, you know, have a fan engagement day at your company. You know, if you don't know how to do it, call me, you know, but have a fan engagement day 
uh, strategic sourcing departments and the best companies sometimes do this. They invite, they do like a pitch a palooza with like they invite all the companies that are in this particular space to come up and talk about innovation. And then take your team, that cross-functional team that I was talking about, and build yourself a vision for, hey, where do we want to be five years from now in terms of our ability to really use fan engagement to drive our marketing, right? And what is the puzzle today and what's missing? Because no company starts with a blank slate, right, guys? It's like, you know, you have existing systems, you have existing personalities, you have existing processes, you have existing, you know, uh, kind of like, uh, uh, call it gossip that happens between one department and another. Nothing is a blank slate. But if you can build a vision together saying, here's what the problem is, and here's how we can get to the point where you can really rely on fan engagement to launch our products, that's the nirvana. The question is, how do we do that? And listen, I don't have all the answers to this, which is why I love engaging with you know people like probably the people that are listening to this podcast right now and and because everyone's you know it's not my brain it's the hundreds of people that are you know far better experienced than I do in this into this topic yeah no and it, I mean user experience customer experience and, and engagement all starts from the top up couldn't agree with you more and and you know in employees and and from the C level to the seniors to everybody they've got to get involved now what are some known businesses that are doing this correctly today. That's a great question. Um, you know, I think it's almost like, and this is going to sound unfair, but the obvious answer to this is Amazon. I'm trying to think, but I haven't really seen a commercial for Amazon. And they know what I want before I want it. And they, you know, I'm sure they use, there's an element of paid media here because I have ads pop up all the time. But the real genius of that business is the fact that how they leverage their data right, to be able to, it's almost like the ultimate case of leveraging data to know exactly what's going on. Imagine like the width of data that they have on me, right? Yeah. There's probably, if there was a line of code, it's probably very, very long after several years of having Prime, a Prime account. But there's also, you know, like I mentioned to you, there's a couple other businesses. One is that, you know, the, that sweatshirt company I mentioned, the American Giant is a really interesting one. I don't know what they do with the, with the data once they do it, but their content is fantastic. Um, some of the work we did at ABC I thought was really good work. They took the franchise of The Bachelor, for example, and the marketing team and the digital team came together and said, listen, we've got fandom around the show. Instead of just kind of asking people to show up, why don't we give them an asset that they can play, like make it a game and made a Bachelor Fantasy League. So just <laughs> like you have a, a Fantasy League in, in football, they did one for the TV show. So gamification wow is actually another thing that I talk about in the in the white paper, which is an aspect of being able to have that always on kind of experience and extending the experience away from, you know, simply the product or service itself, but making it a constant, uh, a constant uh, thing. Um, so those are a couple of examples that I can think of off the bat. But it, one, as a matter of fact, one of the things that my next step is really trying to gather uh, more best practices is that I would love to hear from people what they think uh, some of the best practices are in this thing. Yeah, no, those are some great examples of, of folks and companies doing it well. I, I think we're going to start a survivor pool here at the office. Uh, if you, <laughs> I know. Some, so, um, you know, and, and great point. You know, for anyone else that's looking to pick your brain or, or learn more about this topic, where, where can people learn more about you? Get in touch with you and, and even read this white paper or any other articles you've got out there. Well, uh, first of all, I'd be happy to uh, to send my white paper to anyone who's interested in it. And all you have to do is. Uh, go to my LinkedIn page under Claudio Ludovici um, and um, shoot me a message there and we'll get connected and I will send you and with your email address and I can send you uh, my white paper. My direct email is intentionpower 
at sbcglobal.net. And um, yeah, that should be enough. Great, Claudio. Yeah, all that information we'll be posting on our on our social media networks as well for the show. So anyone that wants to follow up through us can find you. Claudio, this was really insightful and amazing. Thank you for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Fantastic work. We definitely look forward to reading more of your work and, and possibly even talking to you again in the future. Um, we will also be posting um, more information and, of course, the uh, the, the replay uh, for this on our site website and on our Twitter handle. Claudio, once again, very much a pleasure speaking with you. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Now, folks, thank you again for joining us for another episode of our newly rebranded podcast, In Search of Good Data. Join us again next time for another episode. Until then, I'm Carlos Guevara signing off. Bye-bye.